Hey friends, before we kick off this episode, I just wanted to make sure that I mentioned at the top of the episode something that gets mentioned only briefly towards the very end of the episode, and that is the Appalachian Chamber Music Festival run by Katie Churchell, one of the two women that I am interviewing in this upcoming episode. It happens August 14th through 27th um, in West Virginia, and it is everything you should be looking for in a chamber music festival because it is about performance but it's also about education collaboration outreach history nature all kinds of stuff going on so i just wanted to make sure that if that sounds interesting to you that you knew that it was happening shortly uh i'm putting this out on august 2nd 2023 but if you miss it because you're listening to this at a later time i bet there's going to be another one next year You can find more at AppalachianChamber.org. Welcome to Lonely Cello. Welcome to Lonely Cello. I am your host, Emily Wright, and I am here with Katie Tretel <laughs> and Alvin McDonough. Dun, 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 dun. Everybody gets a custom song. That was the one that just <laughs> flowed from. I'm a musician. I can just do that. I can just write a jingle like that. It's, it's really <laughs> a talent. It's a talent of mine. Um, and so I am excited to record this episode because the past kind of three or four years of my life, I've really... Uh, rediscovered the popper etudes and I've got almost all of my students except the very beginners working on some sort of popper um, and so when your project came to my attention I was like oh I am so excited because also I need help right not everything that is in my experience is relevant to my students experience so um, we'll get into that in a second but I guess, yeah, trigger warning, we are talking about the Popper High School of Cello Studies. Anyone in recovery from the conservatory environment, just be aware. We're going to be talking about maybe number nine. I don't know. That's the one that gives me an eye twitch. I love it. But <laughs> oof, gosh, he hurts my feelings with that one. Um, so um, let's just hop in. I kind of want to know about how you guys came to be where you are now, kind of when you started playing? Did you start on cello? Did you start on piano? Um, Yeah, take it from here. Let me know what your journey was in music. Sure. Well, my name is Alvin McDonough. I'm based in Dublin in Ireland, and I teach at the Royal Irish Academy of Music here in Dublin. And I actually started on the piano aged three, and I had three other siblings who all played and my mother, who was a fabulous pianist as well, just amateur. So I harassed them all so much that I had to start age three, which sounds hilarious, but probably five minutes a day. And just after that, I just loved everything about music. I had yeah. incredible teachers who just filled me with, you know, the joie de vivre of everything music making. So that's quite lucky, isn't it? That's what we're yeah. all looking for at the end of the day. Um, Katie, what about you? Well, so I, so I'm American, but I live in the UK now, mostly. I'm a bit of an international woman of mystery, but my background with music is that I was introduced to the cello 
in my um, public elementary school in Northern Virginia. And if it wasn't for music education in the schools, I doubt I'd be a musician because I'm not from a musical family. And, you know, I always loved like playing around on a piano. I think all kids like love making noise. You know, that's sort of my theory is it's something really intrinsic about just being alive. Um, but I was drawn to the sound of the cello. Sounds very romantic. But um, the woman who was my public school strings teacher um, ended up kind of seeing that I had a special interest in, in music and started giving me private lessons um, during our like general music class, you know, she'd take me out of my general music class, give me lessons. And then um, I went on to, she went on to be my first private teacher in cello. So I, I kind of formally started learning the cello privately when I was 12. And um, so I think Alvin and I have a really, um, you know, I, we, we resonate together on so many levels, but we offer kind of a much different background and approach. So, you know, the whole gambit yeah. is sort of covered in, in what we do. Yeah. It's so yeah, because just I would have started cello as a secondary instrument. So my I played piano all along. All my siblings played piano. And my mum wanted me to have a bit of fun with an instrument you could play in the orchestra and travel. And of course, now I'm like, excuse me, the cello is a soloistic instrument. Uh, whereas, you know, in the day it was it was something that I had a bit of fun with. And I ended up doing a joint degree in both instruments and cello won out in the end because it's glorious and we all love it. I mean, how could it not? Um, I still do love the piano all right, but um, this is where it led us to meeting because Katie ended up, maybe you want to, to mention about the, the job, Katie? Oh yeah, sure. Well, so we actually met Alvin and I um, when I was on trial for a job that I then won in the National Symphony Orchestra of Ireland. Woo, woo. Yeah. Yeah, um, I get it. Which is a whole thing. We could yes, do a whole podcast just about, uh, you know, orchestra auditions. and the Stay tuned process. for part two of, <laughs> of this. Yeah, exactly. I know. I feel like a lot of people's hair raising on the back of their necks is just the mention of those things. But um, I was so lucky because I came in and um, sitting next to me was this wonderfully nice Irish beautiful woman Ireland um, makes them can... like that I don't know <laughs> what's going on it's, it's just uh, the loveliest uh, people they really yeah. are I was right so, back at you, so my dear. lucky um <laughs> to live there and be around people like that but I came into the orchestra and I was sitting next to this um lovely lady who's not part of the um usual section she was on a maternity cover for the um number three uh, assistant principal job or associate principal, I guess would be the translation in America for our American audiences. But um, I was sitting next to her and we realized we both at different times studied with the same teacher in Indiana University. So yeah. that was like an Who immediate, was it? it was Emilio Cologne. So I came so this close Alva, to studying with him. No did way. you? Oh no way. way. Yeah, I actually, oh. I was going to do a doctorate at Indiana and I was going to hopefully be Starker's last um, assistant teacher. So they were cobbling together like a pedagogy degree for me. And then I had surgery and I was going to study with Emilio and I had ulnar nerve surgery and they rescinded the offer. <laughs> They're like, oh. sorry, we're not going to buy like a broken. How dare they? I know. Do you know, it ended up being fine because I ended up doing like a, 
neuroscience degree with music at Hopkins and that was like meant to be and so like you've got Nova stuff also I lived in the UK for two years so I'm like oh I oh my gosh all of this we could, so many levels have a good old time <laughs> but um but yeah that's um it's so funny how like there's at any time there's what like 20 preeminent cello teachers so like the Venn diagram gets really really small so you guys discovered that you guys were studying with the same person at different times and what did that lead to Mm -hmm. well it led to us being really great friends actually I mean it was just sort of the first thing of oh you have something in common but I think we both realized pretty quickly that we were similar in the fact that we're both kind of go-getters and um, aren't afraid to put ourselves out there and do a bit of extra work. So we basically kind of formed very quickly a friendship after I I then won the job and and moved to Ireland. I lived there for five years. Um, We would oftentimes like play for each other. And, you know, I feel like in the, that's a very normal thing, right? When you're studying is you go and play to all your, your friends and your peers. Um, but I find so less in the professional world. I think there's some people who are who have um, a bit of fear around doing that because if you say, oh, I need um, help or assistance or I need to like, you know, I need feedback that that's seen as a bad thing um, yeah. because you're you're leaving yourself open to vulnerability. And for sure, I think that there's people um, who you can trust and, yeah. you know, part of being an adult and being a professional is learning who you can trust and who is, you know, going to want to help you um just because they want the music world to be better and more fulfilling and and all of that and I think Alvin and I really um were lucky to find each other and have that for each other because you know I she's so. awesome <laughs> well, yeah I have I've got like yeah I've got colleague uh kind of vulnerability fight club where it's kind of three or four of us and if we're preparing for an audition or even if I'm just like why am I hurting my feelings with the fourth cello suite? You know, I'm like, hey, would you just tell me, is this the right fingering? What What do you think is causing that to happen in this measure, right? It's nice to have a couple people you can trust. And it's so funny because I think every professional would be the last to say that they're done working on themselves. But I think that they would, a lot of people would also be very hesitant to admit what the nature of that work is or, or that like, actually, sometimes I'm just, I, I didn't learn the Kodai at college and I'm, I want to play it now. And so I feel like a student and I would like to talk to somebody who actually did study that with a teacher, right? Like there's nothing yeah. wrong with it, but it is uh, sticking your neck out uh, in a certain sense. This is the funny yeah. thing about music, I think, is that you spend all of your life having this incredible training and then suddenly what you've you've now won, you're finished, you're it. I mean, it it's done. Make- like if you're a if sports, you know, let's say you're you're running or you're doing the high jump, you have coaches and you have masseurs and you have all kinds of like nutritionists, you have all these people your whole life who are gearing you towards perfection or what they think it is. And as a musician, I mean, I definitely, and I know Katie does as well, we're very much about self-care, about constant learning that, you know, that whole thing of Pablo Casals, was it, who said, you know, why are you still practicing? Can't remember was it wasn't right, I th- yeah it was because I think some improvement might still be possible exactly I think I'm getting better and he was aged whatever you know 90 something and he's a real testament to the fact that it doesn't matter how good you are you can still learn something from any other professional everyone has a different path that they walk and so it, it doesn't matter who you are you know I, I'm sure Yo-Yo Ma look at him redeveloping his 
sense of self and sense of musicianship every day. He's playing with different musicians and, you know, so you've never reached the peak. And I think that's what we saw in each other. We thought this is a great opportunity. Let's go through. Uh, I think what was the first thing we did? It was at the the Bach Suites or was it the Piatti Caprices? I can't remember. Oh, I can't remember. We there, we might have started first with like trying to do the Britain Suites. Oh yeah, we did actually. That's true. Yeah. So we did this thing where Ambitious. we'd say, "I will see you in a month, and we'll play such and such to each other." So quite often for me, I would say, let's say with the Piatti Caprices. I'd say, great, Katie. And then we both have a hundred concerts in the meantime, or, you know, life, life happens. So the day before, suddenly the two of us would be like, Piotr Caprice, better look at this and go for it. And How difficult could these be? Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> so we were laughing saying, you know, this is great, but it's not really forcing yourself to do, it's not public enough, I suppose. Um, yeah. And while we're friends we'll obviously let each other away with that kind of idea we'll discuss it we'll learn but it's not really the same as what we did for the paparay shoots which was really public you know that suddenly that was a whole different experience for me anyway there was there was a lot more um what's i suppose that whole thing of uh public video uh and guests as well there were just so many levels but i think that was a real challenge for both of us at the start yeah. Um, and so actually getting into that, what was what were your kind of first encounters with the the popper etudes? Do you kind of remember when a teacher was like, and now you are initiated into the club of darkness uh-huh. and you got the real stuff going now? Yeah, well, I have a long at being at Indiana and you know, Starker and everything with the Hungarian influence. I mean, popper was a rampant part of our education. At Indiana, but I, you know, I think a lot of people. I hope uh, your listeners will. Rest, some people will have had this experience where my first popper study I ever learned was number six, and I was way too young, and I did not know what I was doing when I learned that. I mean, I think it was like thirteen, and um, you know, you sort of have like, I we all have this with like concertos we learn too early and things. It's like this like trauma from a past life that um still hits you in waves um, so you know like that was you know my initial experience with popper and then you go to college and you know i i learned pretty much most of them in my undergrad and graduate studies but i know um alva had a much different experience with them mm-hmm. so we in college had to do one popper etude for the first two years so for uh, it was kind of like a technical exam. So you just had to now obviously you had to do all these scales and you had to do piatti caprices and different things. But I think in my undergrad I learned two of them, and then when I went to my masters maybe I learned another two. So I had never approached them in high school, uh, which hilariously should be when everyone starts because it's called high school rush. <laughs> okay. I feel like it's actually like just the high. It school. is. No, 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 right? no. Right? Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's not actually for high school students. Or maybe you need to get high school. I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, there's so many levels. So many I mean, levels. right. Yeah. Well, number 27 goes a lot easier with just, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like it. We, uh, so it doesn't make any sense because Popper is obviously, uh, you know, he was bohemian. So high school meant nothing to him. It wasn't the American type he was, he was talking about. But put it this way, when I, Katie approached me about this, this idea, 
I had done the Carl Flesch uh, scale system, which is pretty much like another similar way of going about doing the proper etudes. It's a similar type of thing. I did a lot of other studies, but just it wasn't on my radar um, because quite often we can be a bit isolated in Ireland. Mm. Um, and I would have done a lot of master classes worldwide, all over the place, a lot of festivals in America, a lot of things in Germany. But just my general uh, teaching strategy was from a different area. So when Katie suggested this to me, I kind of said, um, mm, um, I mean, sure, it's like, it's a lovely idea. I, li- I like where you're going with this, Katie. <laughs> but I don't know any of these. And I suppose I hadn't looked into them enough. I was doing using a lot of them for teaching, but the same problems that many people would have, which ones do I start with? You know, what what technique is this going to be helpful for? You know, when I'm studying... Dvorak and I want to do that scale you know yes oh that's... I just black out that's my strategy by the way yeah, like, yeah. I like associate and then I'm at the hot high notes <laughs> you've got to use whatever get the orchestra to play fff whatever yes but really it would have been nice I was playing that in the concert hall for the end of my degree in Ireland here with a full symphony orchestra it would have been nice if someone had said proper 13 let's learn that strategy first before you have to do it for the very first time in public in a full concert hall you know and so I suppose those things would have been helpful in my earlier stage but um it's great to have a friend who'll make you do it (laughs) so um it's funny because so my first encounter was pop was popper that's five right I think yeah um yeah so it's just so funny because we're used to the progression, right? So like you open Schroeder or Piatti. And so by the time I saw number nine, I was like, I can't even look at the rest of these. If, if this is the ninth of 40, I'm uh-huh. right. And then we look at like number 36 or even like 40 is actually not so gnarly compared to some of these other ones. Um, and so I dodged them like the guy in the matrix. I was like, no, I'm just going to try something. Let me try something else. Like, I can't believe that I was like, let's do Bukinik and Francome rather than Popper. I was like, I actually like got my ass kicked by those probably more than, than Popper would have. But it's so interesting because I kind of felt like they were a barrier and I wasn't allowed to be a real cellist because I hadn't been taught a lot of them. I, I think I got through maybe... 15 of them in undergrad and then maybe another 10 of them kind of lumbering through. I got very lucky and I had a bunch of um, really advanced adult students in Los Angeles. Um, That's where I was uh, born and raised. And then I moved to the DC area. Nova, what's up? I was in Old Town, Alexandria. Um, And had a bunch of very serious cello students there who also were like, when are we going to do popper? I know I need to do it. It's like getting, it's like getting vaccinated. They're like, I know the jab's going to hurt, but it's probably going to be good for me. So might as well just like <laughs> go into it. Um, and what was interesting is I, I started thinking about, or I started learning a little bit about popper and how he was a, a, a teacher as well as a performer and like a composer. And I just thought about all the time it must've taken to write these things. And you don't do that if you don't love the subject and if you don't love the people who are going to play them because they're so thoughtfully done right there's like four notes in there where i'm like really dave this is this is your plan for this <laughs> what what kind of cadence is this you yeah. maniac. but like most of them you're like 
yeah, this does exactly what I need for the sixth suite for Lohengrin. Thank you for that. I wish I had a Lohengrin uh, in any of my auditions because I'm like, I got that guy. I got yeah. it. <laughs> um, anyway, um, and so I kind of think of these as like love letters to his students or cello students in general, where it's like, here's a context in which you can work on these things so that the box suite is not your etude, that you're not learning how to play the cello on a piece of repertoire. Um, and I'm just wondering, do you guys know anything about how, I've just invented this story that it's for, for his students. Do you guys know anything about the genesis of like how and why he wrote these pieces? Yeah, actually you're, you're dead right. It was for his students. So he, um, he had this biographer who, who goes into this in detail, but he was actually principal cellist of the Vienna Opera. And I think the first one he did was actually the Lohengrin, uh, according to this biographer. It was the Lohengrin because he wanted uh, people to to realize that actually this tiny little passage that's kind of hard in the opera, that you can just do one etude and then you never have to worry about that ever again. That's right. So he wrote, I think he wrote that one way before the rest of them. Um, and then these were actually all the sets that he published them in four sets of 10 between 1901 and 1905 so it's prolific holy smokes <laughs> yeah but I think actually he'd been writing them for his students for many years before that they'd been playing them well before that um but it's really fascinating because he dedicated each set to a different cellist that he knew at the time and what I think is amazing is obviously he had all 40 written but he didn't decide to to put them as you say chronologically like he didn't decide maybe actually that's what he did was you know whenever I wrote them I put them in that order but I think that's the thing for most cellists that puts people off they just don't know which ones to do first um, and and that's a real you know if you suddenly crack into 13 which I think a lot of people do <laughs> because they go I need to learn how to play operas um, you know that's that's the thing I suppose for me as a teacher, and I think we all do this, anyone who composes as well, we write things for our students to help them never be in a professional situation that they can't handle. Um, and I keep saying this to Katie that years ago, I did my first ever orchestral, you know, debut played with an orchestra um, in the section, and we were playing William Tell. And I had no idea how to do that ricochet. I had never come across this kind of type of thing in a piece for more than three or four notes. And suddenly I, everyone was like, dur, 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 and I was just like, what is going on here? And I turned around to this other cellist who was who was still in the orchestra about 20 <laughs> years later. And I said, um, so I don't know how to do that ricochet. Could you tell me how? And can you imagine like the first time you go in as a dep in an orchestra, serious embarrassment. And also like who booked her, you know, get her out. Um, oh, that would make me love you more, just so you know. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. But anyway, so I was like, well, somebody needs to tell me. And I don't know how I got to this stage in my career, not knowing how to do ricochet. And she just looked at me and was like, Ugh, and then said, you know, play it at this part of the bow. And, you know, and most of us are faking anyway. right? <laughs> so I was just like, this is not OK. So I went off and I wrote a piece for like 15 year olds or later learning cellists who've been learning maybe grade five, grade six. That is pretty much all ricochet. So you know by the time that you actually come into a situation and you don't have to ask the cellist you're trying to impress sitting next to, you know, it's, it's nonsense. So I think that's what Popper did, right? He just, he's just helping out his students and he's like, this is easy actually. 
you, there's a manual and here it is. <laughs> so cool, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, and well, just one last thing to add on to that too. I think we can all, anyone who's learned a popper study knows that a lot of what he's written is a lot harder than what we come across in most of our daily lives as musicians. <laughs> so okay. I think there is also an element of it's like, well, can you take it from zero to 60? Like if you can do all of this, then you'll have no problem with your little Beethoven sonata or whatever. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, um, yeah. Oh, I, I'll still have a problem with Beethoven sonatas though. Don't, I'll have problems for everybody else. <laughs> don't, don't you worry. You know, it's funny though. Um, you know, back in the early aughts, um, there was kind of a wave. It's, it's part of the reason I got interested in neuroscience, right? Because it just seemed like all of a sudden everyone's like, and then outliers and neuroplasticity and blink and all this. And like now that we're kind of sifting things into piles of like, yes, actually stands up to peer review and repeated study or eh, maybe Malcolm Gladwell was getting high on his own supply. <laughs> hey, you know, he writes a nice sentence, great hair, <laughs> right? But um, there's a book called The Talent Code and uh, it's one of the main perpetrators of the 10,000 hours to expertise, which is on its face a lie, but under underneath it is correlated with actually all the things that, right? So it's not causation, it's correlation. If you if you are spending 10,000 hours on this, you are also probably doing these other 19 things that actually make a successful musician. Yeah. But um, Hans uh, Jorgen Jensen, who's one of my other main teachers, and he's the one who actually showed me that you can be joyful even when you're teaching very serious music. In fact, it's maybe even more important to be joyful and upbeat with very serious students because it's like, right, every, every problem feels like a dagger to your heart and it's such high stakes, right? But um, the thing that I love about what he was talking about in the talent code was the relationship of exposure to adversity to acquisition of skill. And that what you and what you want to do is actually expose yourself to something that's much more difficult than what's on the page, right? It's why we play fast passages and dotted rhythms, right? Just to like, let's see if we can confuse your hands because if you can get that locked down, then when you see it on the page, it's like, I have this under control. Um, so I think Popper, that's actually kind of goes into my next question. I felt defeat defeated by Popper as an undergrad because um, it was just early enough that there were recordings of these and YouTube was like just starting to be a thing, right? Josh Roman really hurt my feelings, <laughs> right? Like, oh, he's just like in sweatpants and he's like wipe, he's tuning. And then he just like launches into, you know, number 27 at 190 BPM. Congratulations to you and your beautiful sautier. I'm so proud. <laughs> um, we actually had a popper fight club at my, um, <laughs> the org that I'm doing. <laughs> it was like all about like, let's not be afraid of sauté anymore. Anyway, but um, my thought is, and I'm wondering if you have a counterpoint or you agree, um, that so long as you know what Popper is going for, the thing that he's trying to train your hands or your ear and, or your arm to do, you actually don't have to master it in order to get a whole bunch of benefit out of it. Like you can kind of get through the first 10 measures of number nine. And if you're basically getting the idea, you are better off in thumb position than had you not tried it and gotten only halfway there. Would you agree with that? Totally. hundred percent. I mean, I think, I think there's so many levels to what you just said that resonate with us deeply, but I, I think, um, you know, I think a lot of times there is so much just fear 
internally to approach anything that looks as scary as Popper does or feels as scary. You know, I mean, I think like the physical sensation of what you're doing when you're learning these skills is can be like so uncomfortable on so many levels. And I think the other thing is as classical musicians, we're so trained to like be perfect and Get to right. finish things and to, you know, um, push ourselves outside of our comfort zone, but never show that, um, you know, we ha ourselves have imperfections because we are human beings. And I, I completely agree with you. And I know you'll probably ask us later on about like, you know, what sort of things we see, you know, when people approach proper, but I, I do think that um, it's sort of like, just, just trying is, is half the battle. You know, I always, I'm a big yoga with Adrian person. I don't know if you have any yoga with Adrian listeners, but she's always like, you're just here on the mat and that's, you've already succeeded because you're here. And I do feel like with Popper, a lot of it is that, you know, and a lot of it is, um, you know, just, just putting yourself through the ropes and, and having kindness to yourself in the way that you approach it, because there's a lot of knowledge out there. There's a lot of approaches you can take to learning any sort of technique. Like everyone knows, or not everyone, but I heard this a lot growing up that um, Jacqueline Dupre played the Elgar concerto second movement at the frog. She played her spiccato at the frog and no one can do that except Jackie, come on. Like, I don't know anyone who plays spiccato at the frog. Um, but uh, yeah, so I just think there's things like that. There's so many approaches. So definitely agree that half the battle is just trying it. Just showing up. I mean, Popper in general, I think what we found as we went through, um, and especially as someone who hadn't approached a lot of the etudes, I think Popper just, for that split second, my favorite thing to do, because we had very little time every week, depending on what week it was, based on you know the beginning of COVID, the pandemic, to when concerts opened up again. Um, my favorite thing to do was to just go and see what was repeated and just X my way through that. So already it's only one page as opposed to two pages. Yep. Like, why waste time? You're not playing through the same stuff again. Just cull it and smart practice. So I think that's the thing that both of us would have learned a lot. Um, I would have thought that both of us were quite, you know, fast on the uptake when it comes to learning anything new. But our chops were way off the page when we finished this project because we didn't have time to play it 10 times. We just had to find a way to do it the first time. And we had to go... Okay. Yeah. You know, if you think of it that way, I think what number 18 only actually has six original measures then. I know. Probably. <laughs> yeah. That thing is so like that was one of my favorites. <laughs> why does this keep going? And why is it all have you never heard of a repeat sign, homie? What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Philip Glass could teach him a thing or two, Popper. Right? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, do this until the vibe changes, man. Like <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Mm -hmm. so, um, so how did like you guys kind of came together? You already had the format of like, let's kind of like push through something together. When did this idea like actually when when did this process of starting popperetudes.com start? And also, did you have to buy that from somebody or was that URL just lying out there in the wilds of the Internet? How did you do that? Seriously, you wouldn't believe it. So it was actually just lying out there. Um, I can't believe it. I can't believe nobody actually had bought this before. So it was still available for something relatively, you know, whatever, um, relatively cheap enough for something that's actually, you know, I think when we started the project, Katie had approached me and said, let's do one a week and we will do it over the course of a year. 
And it was all because we all the concerts had been cancelled. We had some extra time in our hands. It was during the pandemic. During the pandemic. And I think what was really important to both of us was that we wouldn't suddenly lose our chops during the pandemic. Yeah. So a lot a lot of people were going out um after the pandemic afraid to play in public again. Whereas I think myself and Katie, both of us, we had done the most frightening project of our lives during the pandemic, playing popper to guests that we respected and loved um, live over the internet, which, you know, you just cannot learn one a week and be perfect every single week. You just can't. And there's some of those that we know that, you know, they'll take six months to really let your, your muscles get used to the, you know, there's so many different things. So I don't know, Katie, what, what you think about the whole process, but um, the, the pop rate or- came later. It Katie. was an organic process. You know, I'm an ideas person. I throw yeah. ideas out there and see what sticks. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, Alva, we, we, we kind of agreed to do this, like having no idea how much work it would be, um, you know, That's very innocently. And, but it, we did sort of gain a momentum. And once we'd done about like 10 weeks of it, we're like, we're, we're in it. We're like, nah, th- we're going to do the whole thing. And it was very satisfying, I have to say, to to push ourselves through that limit. But we originally kind of set it up on Patreon. And mm-hmm. that was a way of us, I think, cocooning ourselves because we're like, will the world get it? Will the world get this like, you know, vulnerability piece, which I think is really an important aspect of what we did with the popper of, um, hey, we're just, these are two professionals learning this for a week. What do you think? Like, did you learn something? And also I thought, you know, we're, I think it's really important to show people as well that um, peer-to-peer learning is also about seeing those things. You know, it's not about always the finished product. Um, So we, we originally set it up on Patreon to sort of like protect ourselves from, you know, if somebody was going to hate it, at least you'd get paid. Which is, hey, you know, exactly. I'll take that. Very American perspective. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But when we finished the whole thing, we thought, you know, I think this really is something that maybe has a space in the world because, you know, like you said, there's the Josh Romans and, you know, huge fan, obviously, and like massive respect to anyone who puts themselves out there um, delivering like such a high level of, of um, playing. But I think that, you know, who it's it, sometimes I feel like who needs to hear my interpretation of this that or the other but i think doing something together with somebody where you are able to to jive off of each other i think is an important message for the classical music world you know it's not all about us and i think in the spirit of competition sometimes we can we can put others down rather than all lifting each other up and you know yeah. i think the music world is a better place when we're all all know, trying to achieve our... yes that's exactly it like I think the big thing for the two of us was we were actually having fun learning popper. If that's, you know, it's just not a thing that cellists think about, but we were practicing it beforehand. And I remember someone saying, you're not supposed to have fun while you're learning popper, but that's totally against any realm of, of music for me. It doesn't matter if you're doing an etude or you're learning something really, really hard or something very easy. You should always be having fun when you're learning music. I mean, you know, we're living the dream here, having a job that we can actually get shivers in the back of our neck. We can have a giggle. We can like play angry things and get rid of our angry feelings. You know, like the world's our oyster. We're living the dream. So why not just give people different aspects? And, you know, I learned from Katie her practice techniques. 
which I would kind of go, God, yeah, I could have actually used that in my practice and I didn't. So maybe I will the next time. And I'll tell you so many, what? Oh, I was going to say, do you know about bow circles? (laughs) Oh, yes. These? Yes. It's either one way or the other. Right. Yes, depending Alpha on blew my mind in the proper project with it. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead, Emily. Oh no, I was just gonna say um it's interesting because I've done a lot of so when you when you do neuroscience things, they also make you deeply study psychology. Um, right, just because it's no sense understanding about the physical structures of the brain if you don't understand like kind of what they're assigned to. So you learn a lot about anatomy, kinesiology, psychology, neurobiology. And it makes me sound like way more clever than I actually am. I was expecting to get kicked out absolutely every day when they discovered what a fucking imposter I am. <laughs> I'm like, very clever to me. I don't know. Like this is my I would like, I would like, you know, swipe the thing and the door would open. I'm like I cheated him again another day. Let's go <laughs> do some research for it's do you know what it was? That was real research because I didn't know. I wasn't going in to confirm my ideas. I was going in to find out what was even going on. But what's what's interesting when I hear that people are like, you shouldn't be having fun doing this, or like this shouldn't be fun, it should be serious. I, it actually like kind of squeezes my heart a little bit because these mm-hmm. associations with the instrument permeate your playing. I do. And it's, it's so this is, bad for business. <laughs> it's it's bad for that, but also, I mean, this is super irreverent, but I heard this the other day. It's my podcast. I can say what I want. Um, somebody said, you know, it's really better if you think farts are funny, if you can laugh at them, because if you don't think farts are funny, you're living a life with exactly the same number of farts and absolutely nothing to laugh at. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, you might as well, because they're going to be part of life. And so with something that is so um, imposing, I mean, the cello is kind of imposing, right? Even like the size of our, I mean, solidarity to violinists, you have that playing position. What were they thinking? But we have this monster instrument and also expensive strings. Don't you tell me violins. Don't you ever cry to me about your hundred dollars. I do not. I will not hear it here. But, um, but yeah, so it's just, it makes me feel sad because also, we are, um, I'm, I tell all my students, like we are emoting all the time when we're playing. And if you are feeling like your worth is dependent on how you play, we're going to hear that in your interpretation and we're going to see it in your face. And we're going to be pulling for you as an audience instead of enjoying your art. And that is, so it's actually the popper etudes are a great place to sort of accept your vulnerability and you are now part of a club of people we've all been taken behind the woodshed by every single popper etude. There's no such thing as an easy popper etude because the cello is hard. So it's actually an opportunity to retool your expectations and the way you think of yourself and the way you place yourself in the world um, to just be, to be okay with where you are and to just kind of be where you are in the process. Right. It's like, we're all, we're all on our own journey, right? We're working. There's room. There's room. Mm-hmm. My my feeling is there's room for all of us in this musical world, and yeah. we all have something to offer it. And um, I I think I'm I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown. I don't know if you are. Oh, the gifts that's, of perfection. That's my that's my girl right there. Yeah, and I think God, what a better place to practice vulnerability than in Popper, right? You know, and um, if I think you know, the younger generations were entering. I, I think this is changing. I really do. I don't know um, if you'd feel the same, you, you, both of you, but I think that 
if we can encourage that sort of exploration early on and through things that are challenging like that, then the music world is just going to be a better place. So 100%, 100%. And I have a, a big thing in, which I think is so important in the paparazzi use particularly that if you find something challenging between two notes and you can manage to find a way to make that easier between two notes, then that is a result. So you might open up popper whatever, 20, and say, I don't know how to feel this comfortably. You know, what's happening? Two notes. And then close up the book. And that's a win for today. It doesn't have to be mastered in a day. The difference between the two notes is, is the difference in the world, I think. You know, it's a huge, huge success. Yeah. And, it's, and so getting into the numbers it's funny nine is actually one of my favorites and my least favorite it it teach it's my best teacher because every single problem that i face as a musician is encapsulated in that particular etude there's just like it, it's written for me it's dedicated i, I wasn't born yet it is okay. for me I, I, yeah um You're also welcome. i do love 27 that was my pandemic one i'm like i'm really gonna do this and we're gonna get it up to 170 bpm and we're gonna just let's roast let's go i love it so much um and yeah i'm trying yeah. to think of like well i just i'm curious what are like your personal favorites and how about the least favorites are you allowed to talk about that or are you going to be like they're oh, all yeah. great and i love them <laughs> <laughs> well Katie, do you want to take it away? Sure. Well, okay. So you mentioned 40 earlier. I'm going to start with the negative and then we're going to rise above. So 40, for some reason, that one was, I hate 40. I, I don't know I where really to put my, my first finger on that F sharp after the D harmonic. I've never played the cello before. I don't know where well, that note is. <laughs> and you know, the hilarious thing was we did that one pretty early. I think it was the second one we did. And it was like the easiest thing in the world for Alpha. And I was like, <laughs> like How? How is this so Americans can't so... play it. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's an American thing. Okay. Thank you. I mean, well, I think I was like, oh, it's because Alva played piano and she has that like light touch thing going on. I mean, I like, I just could not do it. And then I remember thinking, I was like, it's okay, Katie, you know, take care of yourself, self-love. I was, I was sort of, <laughs> sort of like, you know, it reminds me of like how Mozart wrote Queen of the Night Aria for this specific woman, you know, whenever. And now you know all of the sopranos have to be able to sing that that yeah, art and like, it's sort of thanks like, for well, that high c <laughs> yes but i still find that one really challenging even after doing all 40 and i think that like hey you know the great thing about it is at least popper created the study where i can practice that and you know get better at the skill of playing redonkulous harmonics that i'll never use just because like you know it's really hard for me doesn't mean i can't work on it so i think that's a great thing and so that was, that's my least favorite one. And I think my favorite, I'm a big double stop girl. I love yes, double she is. stops. She and is. I, I just love 13. Like I think, and that is one where I remember as a student, like completely destroying my hand for like a week. <laughs> I, yeah. I learned do- how to use um the liquid skin. That was yep. like my big trick there. It's an E flat, right? So like, that's kind of, that's yep. my favorite note. I'm weird. I have a favorite note. But everyone um, should have one. Everyone should have one. Yeah, it, it's yeah. a note. I actually have synesthesia on like three notes. Wow. And and e flat is one of them. E flat is a hot pink and it tastes like lemons. Ooh. And I thought I was like, Ooh. I mean, I could still be mentally ill. But as a kid, when I had this, I actually thought I was crazy and I didn't tell anybody. And then I was a jazz minor as an undergrad. And that's a big thing. They lean into that. You're like a chosen one if you have synesthesia on any Ooh. of your notes. 
And so I'm like, I have a lemon note. <laughs> that is awesome. awesome. Wow. Yeah. I love that. Like the fourth box suite is hot pink for you. Yeah, it, it is hot pink. Like- and also it's the color my face goes when I try that prelude though. Mm, not for me, not for me in my hand. Wowie zowie. I need, I need a different instrument. I, give, give me a three quarter and I will play that prelude for you. Okay. So, so number 13. Um, so I'm curious um, if you have any others that are sort of like favorites for what they teach, like, w- like when you get to yeah. teach one of them to a student, you're like, yeah. Oh, so many so many different things I mean I definitely believe it depends where you are in the process of learning your etudes which ones you love or hate right um, because when you keep you keep saying nine I remember reading at the beginning before we started this project because we were trying to put the hard ones kind of separated out so that we wouldn't die and we might have two or three more weeks to to practice those before we got to them right so a lot of people said nine but by the time we got to nine, we had like super strong, you know, and um, the incredible Hulk left hands at that point. So we were like, hello, nine. We like, you know, you're my bitch. <laughs> um, and it's like, it. I find that fascinating because if we had started with that, nine would have made both of us cry. And um, there'd be nothing hot pink about us. It would just be <laughs> sweaty and all the rest. So for me, 40 definitely was a big favorite because I didn't have any real thumb strength. I mean, I did, you know, I, it wouldn't be sore when I was playing a concert, but not proper level, heavy, you know, heavy. Um, I love teaching people 20 and 22. Mm. Uh, so 22 is actually just beautiful. It's so pretty when you play it. That shit. In like, yes, you know, and do not do not play that one completely with a metronome. T- make a bit of a meal out of that high note. It's yes, music. exactly. <laughs> it's music, and you can actually teach people that popper is pretty and beautiful when you teach that one. So all of their like preconceptions go out the window. Then it's you know it's really it's a concert stuff. It really does sound like a like an encore. It's so yeah. pretty, and we we both love playing that. Um, and then twenty that one is the one that has that the octaves that go you know that giant ridiculous shift that you'd never have to do in life um and i think we got to 20 later again it was one of those and it's it's a pretty beasty study but it it actually encompasses a lot of the things that popper likes to do you know so eventually when you get to all 40 you realize that he likes chromaticism he likes double stops he likes, you know, bow rhythm and changing strings and left hand rhythm, the, the change between left and right. And I think when you get to 20, you have to be able to put all of this together, you know, all the forces unite. And you're it like, is. It's a summation. That's that's. A, yeah, he I feel like the one of the main things he wants also to leave you with is a sense of the map of the fingerboard. Right. Yeah. Is this straight across the string or is it a half step off? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You extend across the string or does your hand stay closed? Cause he's right. He's just, I can imagine him. I see him there with like a, like an old fashioned, like teacher, like yes. Some the student is, I, I always say like, guys, he has filled this piece with holes for you to fall in. 
<laughs> not do not let popper fool you please mm -hmm. like assume that there is a trick between every single note when you're first learning it right yeah. you have to tell me what the gimmick is before i let you try to play this any faster well Absolutely. it's it's also like um I had a student who's doing 15 recently and, you know, it's like the getting over the mental hump of like the figuring out bit, you know, like all of that stuff. If you're not used to playing up in those nether regions of the cello with the thumb and all that, and you just sort of tell them they, they find it so incredibly difficult. And you're like, good, that is the process. And That's guess the what? The more you put yourself through that, the easier that figuring out bit comes. And, you know, I often try to, with the, what you know when people are doing stuff like this it, it doesn't always mean it's pop or sometimes in concerto you're like what is what's the difficulty is it your brain freaking out because it's like information overload or is it like physically your body's figure or is it both or are you doing things with your body because your brain is like i don't want to think about that i don't want to figure it out um so i think that's a really you know i mean all of the studies have some aspect of that but i think a lot of the thummy ones for me and for most of my students would be would be triggering those those points. So, yeah. Yeah. So speaking of like figuring it out, kind of what are, what are some of the most common mistakes that you see when, when your students are kind of going forward in, in the popper etudes, I guess, actually, let me ask a different question first. I, I describe these etudes as sort of like problem solving love letters to students, his students, and also just students in general. When you decided to do this, it seems like at least some of the genesis is kind of similar for you, right? You're like, we want to help people learn popper because otherwise you could have just done this as something that was two hot chicks playing hard cello pieces, which you, Ooh, there's definitely a Patriot now on OnlyFans, um, <laughs> <laughs> right? That's our next plan. <laughs> Honestly, I'm sure popper is somebody's kink, right? It has to yeah, be, yeah. It, it must be. Anyway, awesome. but um, I guess I'm just wondering, it was that kind of, aside from the fact that you guys just wanted to do something and, and exit the pandemic still having chops and maybe more chops. Actually, my thumb position callus is noticeably bigger since 2019 mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm just wondering, like, was that kind of part of, part of your mission in this? Yeah. I think what we wanted to do, like Katie mentioned was take away the curtain. And for me, I remember there were a few auditions I was doing for a master's and they had requested certain popper etudes, which I had never done. And there were one or two I physically did not know how to approach. This was like going into my master's degree. And like I was, I was already, I think I played like 13 concertos with orchestra at this point. I was playing all of the hard rep. I just physically didn't know how to approach it. And I didn't know who to ask really either about it. So I was kind of at a loss and I think both of us wanted and I think this is why the popperachews.com is, is such a great resource because it's totally free but it's it's one of those things where I'm like okay I'm going to do this project on my own rather than with a teacher because you don't always have excess time to be doing all the popperachews and discuss everything yep. but at least now I can send my students there and say right look at this go through the etude as much as you can with the video instructions and then come and play to me afterwards. So we don't have to actually spend as much time in the lessons and, and we've already broken it down. So you can go off and do that. It, it was so important for us to, to have that as a, I suppose we got such a gift out of the whole process that I think we wanted to give cellists a gift if that doesn't sound too uh, ridiculous. But it is, it is. That is exactly what, when I was watching, 
I don't know. I think I watched three or four of them in the past week and I'm like, e thank you. <laughs> I have, I, because right. You also just don't know what you don't know. Funny yeah. though. Also, you said, you know, I, who do you ask? I actually was struggling with popper nine. And then there were um, a couple shapes in the Britain Sonata, uh, sorry, the Britain suite that was really, it just was like, I'm like, I don't even, I don't, what even and I sent an email to one of my old college professors and he said I didn't teach that because I don't play it I don't know and I was just sort of like by the way top studio player in yeah. Los Angeles yeah. like maybe not on the first stand but like for 35 years every single movie dynamite player can you know play Rococo variations in his sleep he's like yeah. nope yeah. <laughs> and I just thought that was really amazing. And I'm like, well, I don't feel like I can give myself permission. I don't want to give myself permission to do that. I mean, there are a couple pieces that where I'm just like, Baccarini, never, I don't know her. I don't, I don't want to play that piece. I don't like that piece. <laughs> but um, anyway, so. But that's the thing we wanted to unveil is that, do you know, actually, there aren't any secrets to cello playing. You know, I think that's the thing is there is, there is always a way. There's no magic. We just need to let everyone in to to find out what it is because then people can go as far as they like or do whatever they want with the cello with the knowledge but I mean it's it's just what is this like where I'm holding it's it's not primary school or what do you call it in America grade school you know we get primary two you have primary two okay um but I just I find that funny that kind of classical thing oh I'm not telling you because then you might be better than me you know like it's nonsense (laughs) actually, maybe we'll just be ourselves and then we can do whatever we want with that now that we have the information. But also there are lots of cellists who are better than I am, but I do make myself feel better in that I have the best shoes. Oh yeah. Uh, So I'm like, you know what? You you do sound better than I am, but have you seen these? I got them on Poshmark. (laughs) So that's, that's kind of the way I make myself feel better. I'm just saying until I, until I have full mastery of this whole thing, I'm, I will just be better dressed. It's my, sure. Oh yeah my strategy um (laughs) exactly it's not hair though unfortunately (laughs) no katie has the hair though katie's got the hair oh my god i will sit behind katie's hair and then maybe you know but i i mean hair for a metaphor for child like i spent so much life so much of my life hating my hair and now i'm an adult i've just embraced it and i've it's the same with playing right like i think we all go through this journey of like conforming and trying to like hate ourselves force ourselves into a box there's so much of that but at the end of the day you know do we just we the more we invest in who we are i think it, the more it helps um, i actually everything i, I just in the music world. yeah actually that along those lines i had a student we had a, a studio class this summer and I, I had a student feeling really bad because she's been listening to his will bailey's box suites and they're so different like god bless him for like let's do some all the sweet super legato with a ton of slurs like yeah um but a new generation is hurting their feelings with that like for me my feelings were hurt by starker's complete mastery like he he like he beat the shit out of those suites like every single note he beat into submission and then hammered it to perfect (laughs) right so like my and then then also honor belmsma right who was just like this is so easy and I sound like a ghost, right? And it is like the whole thing was just so perfect. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so the student was feeling really bad about not being able to play this uh, at the speed and with the phrasing that he played it with. And I said, but there's already been as Will Bailey. I w- I'm so curious as to what your box suite sounds like. 
right? What you can bring to them. And at first that sounds like super Pollyanna, but actually I've lived my whole life sacrificing absolutely everything for art and music and for other people to do that. And that's really the currency we trade in. That's what matters most. What I want to know about you through art, right? So like we're, I think I can speak for actually all three of us because most of our, our listeners are adult cello students. We are so curious about what you can bring to Popper. So don't worry if you don't sound like Josh Roman or even me, who's, you know, somewhere between a very beginner and Josh Roman on the, on the Popper etudes. Like it's okay to be exactly who you are on your pieces. And 100%. we're not worried about, right. We, we've already had a yo-yo ma. Let's have somebody else. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. yeah. I love all every culture that. brings a different thing. Every experience in life brings a different sense of feeling and um, I've actually just recorded all the box suites so I'm wetting myself laughing at what you're saying here and it's it's fascinating to go through the process of people are going to complain because I didn't do it at 337 or 437 I didn't do it you know I, I recorded it at 442 because that's what I play at all the time so I also really close mic'd it so you can hear everything it's like, you know, I love the Pablo Casals. I can hear him breathing. I can hear him. You hear the finger falls. Hitting. Yes. Yeah. But I left all that in because I don't like this newly engineered reverb. Sanitized. Yeah. No. So actually, even though, you know, some people aren't going to like it, I was like, do you know what? I'm an Irish musician. I play the jigs like an Irish jig. It's very different to everyone else's Bach. But you know what? Is the way it is and it's out there and people when it's released they can say what they want because i like it you know i love and it that's, that's the point isn't it you know that you're you're actually setting something off into the world that you can do and you can do well you're not trying to imitate somebody else it's nonsense you know so i love it, it. rant <laughs> no so let's get just a tiny bit like teacher pedagogical nerdy um because um a lot of people i think are going to feel once they listen to this, this this might actually be their entry point into the Popper etudes. Um, because I don't know why, but I have this amazing group of people who are at the very beginning of their journey who are listening to the podcast. Um, and so what are either some, some mistakes that are really common to make when you start learning a Popper etude or any guidance maybe to kind of accompany your videos? I mean, I know there's a lot there and they should be studying with a teacher, but it sometimes seems like the week or two between lessons can be a very lonely place for people trying to do something as ambitious as a popper study. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the number one piece of advice I would give for popper and probably everything is just don't try to learn too much at once. Like less is more. And especially with the thumb stuff, like if you haven't played thumb position before and you're trying to learn thumb position and you try any of the thumb studies, you need to like do that like sparingly, you know, and I'm, I'm a big fan of like practicing something for a few minutes, then practicing something else and then coming back to it. So I think I, I would strongly encourage that. And, you know, it is kind of like how efficient you're going to be when you play. Like, I think, accept that you're going to sit down. And if you have never played anything like this, your brain is going to hurt because it's confronting out. Yeah. And so for me, I've kind of developed this out of necessity, this sort of feeling of like, ah, it feels so good to like work out my brain in that way. But if you're not used to that, it can be traumatic, you know, and it can make you feel, feel 
overwhelmed and tired. And, you know, I think accepting that you're going to feel that way and embracing it is, is the key, you know, and that, and don't try to do, don't try to learn a whole page of it. You know, some of the studies are really hard. You probably only want to do like a couple bars at a time. Really. Yeah. The high fiber approach is not good for, for popper tunes. <laughs> yeah. What yeah, about you, Alva? I, what do you think? I totally agree with that. I think, um, some great advice, which was given to me was ignore all the Boeing's straight off so if there's a slur over the whole measure or bar don't do it when you start work out very slowly you know long slow notes one note at a time and just do one measure that is it and you can you can literally make one measure in a practice session everybody can do that you know that will it will not take long and then when you know that you can do that you've worked out the left hand you might want to pits first break it down tiny, tiny, tiny sections, two notes, and then add an extra note. And then when you can do all that, go back and maybe do two notes slurred and two notes slurred. And eventually you're adding one extra little challenge as you go through. But if you try and do it all, sight read through it, which every student of mine seems to do first, you know, they try to play through the whole thing. And I get it. They want to see what challenge is ahead of them, but it's not helpful, you know. Yeah, Just, it's hard because you don't want to disincentivize the ambition they have there. But I, I'm like, you are going to hurt your feelings by doing yeah, it that yeah. way. And and also there's um a tiny bit about that that sort of work that you have to do. Am I shifting a tone or a semitone? Um, you know, working that out first before you try it 20 times unsuccessfully is a much better option. So I found I used to put lines between anywhere I had to shift. Yeah. Quite often there's so many shifts that it's just overwhelming and I don't know what I'm shifting. So work out all of that stuff before you ever bring in the bow. And then when you have it, you'll be, you know, feeling all good about yourself going, I rock because I've just nailed this, you know, and that's much better. So that is actually, oh yeah, go ahead. Just one thing to add. One thing to add is like having a system no matter what it is, because different people have different ways of organizing things. But I think for the left hand, I kind of work in a way that there's like four main thumb position, hand positions. So um, I think whatever your sort of system is, it doesn't have to be the same as what your teacher teaches you. Or, you know, if some if you have adult learners learning on their own, just have a way of organizing whatever you're doing. And either if you're a mental learner, fine, or write it down, Um, but I think organization is key. Think of like you're organizing your underwear drawer, you know, that's what I think of. It's like, get all the bits aligned. Wait, you're supposed to organize your underwear. Yeah. I don't organize my underwear drawer. (laughs) Full disclosure. Actually, to be honest, I'm procrastinating on something I'm supposed to be writing for strings. My underwear drawer is perfectly folded right now. (laughs) Like I am folding sheets, like to like perfection how does martha stewart do this yeah, and then the piece condo right exactly and like the 2000 word piece for strings is like at 55 words and it's like emily please uh-huh. write me i'm like nope gotta I, I think i might you know maybe i should reverse this i should alphabetize my underwear like god <laughs> um but actually this is something i'm um, two things for students if you're listening um, left-hand organization, if you have cello mind, there's a chapter called an organized system of left-hand shifting. And especially when you go into thumb position, it's really good to go up 
um, and, and see like, do you have a half step or a whole step between one and two or thumb and one? Those two things, even if you don't know what the other fingers are doing, are going to set you up for so much success. And mm -hmm. then um, I know I asked you, but I'm like, I have to get my advice in here as well. I'm sure you guys have actually, I'm, I'm probably just paraphrasing what you said. Don't put your left hand down unless you know where it's going because you will yeah. always be guessing and betting on luck. And the whole point of the popper etudes and studying with any kind of discipline is that I, you want your luck to be able to completely desert you and that the notes come out anyway. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that's actually, I think part of what is so good about even some of the early popper etudes, which I would say are very accessible, like, uh, what one, two, three, is four? I don't know, but like five and six for the most part are actually pretty 11. I feel like is 10 and 11 might be pretty good for that too. Yeah. Um, where it's just like, do you have a handful of fingers that you know what's going on? If you don't know what's going on, don't go to the next note. Just kind of plan a couple steps ahead. Otherwise it's like saying I'm going to France and then you buy your ticket at the airport. You, good luck. I mean, I guess you could get there. You might end up going through Nairobi fine, maybe, I suppose. Right. <laughs> but it's like much more comforting to be like, I know what is going on. Cause otherwise I think it, maybe I'm just like projecting. That's how I went about them as a reckless teenager. I knew I wanted them to be better. I knew I was supposed to study these and I knew I was absolutely flailing the entire time. I was, it was just complete panic because I wouldn't slow down because I thought about how it should be as opposed yeah. to how I could create the conditions under which playing the notes might be possible. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, very, very common um, yeah. for that age too. You know, I mean, I always, I always in my head debate for teenagers, like they have to be like this, you know, they're so excited to be alive. So it is a challenge, you know, I think to, um, to get people to slow down at that age. And again, I think it's like, letting people be who they want to be on some level. And and it, it, all the things we're talking about, I think people come to these things when they're ready to come to them, you know? And for some people, that's when they're 14 years old. And for some people, that's when they're 60, you know? And I think that is, that is part of the thing is we will find these things and we will find um, the the process when, when it's right for us. Mm. Yeah. So um, we're getting kind of close to wrapping up. And so I wanted to do a couple non-popperetudes.com thing. By the way, you guys will never guess what the internet address is for these things. <laughs> it is popperetudes.com. Um, but you also, um, we've got, it's a cello thing, which I actually ordered. Oh, wow. That's, Thank that's you gonna, very much. Yes, that's going to be coming into my mailbox whenever they decide to send it. I live in small town, Connecticut. We have no idea when anything will happen around here. Just going to come when it gets there. That's exciting um, in itself, right? It is. You never know. I actually posted on Instagram because our local news coverage was literally tree falls on house. That was like the big story. And then they're like, we're going to go to two guys who saw the tree fall on the house. And that was oh. literally like the big story. You know? I like it. You know, I, it would be a big deal if a tree fell on my house. So actually, I appreciate that that's the story. And there True. were also like, man found raccoon in backyard. Ooh, oh my God. So we'll see. We'll see when it gets here. But um, would you spoil the surprise for me and tell me a little bit about what they are, who they're for, and where folks can get them? Sure. So I suppose we were just discussing this myself and Katie before in a similar way I just as a teacher and a performer I wanted to write a whole pile of pieces for cellists 
who each specific piece would have a specific technique that they can achieve, you know, while at the same time being a fun uh, piece that has good melodies and or excitement. Um, yeah, the previews looked actually like beautiful lyrical melodies. Oh, well, thank you. So the other thing as well is I am sick and tired of people writing slow only pieces. You know, you get a, a book of cello music and eight out of them out of 10 pieces are slow. You know, we can play fast too. We can play just as fast as violin players. So anyway, these are two books called It's a Cello Thing. And it was Boozy and Hawks published them. So you can find them on their website. But it was important to both of us that it would be for beginner cellists, not children who have started. So they're actually with adult learners in mind that everything in there, it's just, I mean, it's been great for my students who particularly at a certain stage, slightly lost interest um, and needed something really, really kind of, I suppose, emotional or touching to keep them invested. Um, and that's that's why I wrote them. So my my students love them. And Thank I you. have to say a little insider knowledge that was hilarious. I, when Alva was writing these pieces, some of them, uh, <laughs> I'd be in the symphony orchestra and she'd be like, what do you think of the title of this one? And we had a lot of laughs. Like she'd play them to me. I'm like, this is awesome. Love it. And then we'd be like, what should, she's like, what should I call it? And some, I will not repeat the names here because some of them were like highly inappropriate. That Um, is very true. So when we stop recording, I want the names. (laughs) (laughs) So they're really fun. I think the pieces too, they're real expression of Alva and like her joy. She brings to everything she does, Um, but they're, they're super fun. I think students, and all people love them. So thank you. My seventh and eighth grade, um, like my my middle school uh, orchestra director, without whom I would not be a cellist. I absolutely would have fallen off at that point if if I did not have. And I know there are guys listening to this, but it was really important for actually me to see a woman leading an ensemble and also playing a, like with aggression and power and just sort of like just loving it as much as I was seeing men love it right because my mom had this idea that like it was long dresses and elegance and I have never been elegant a day in my life I fake it I fake it during uh the the Rococo variations but (laughs) but right (laughs) not not so much um but she wrote a couple short symphonic pieces to prepare us for these other pieces that we were going to be competing with. And she let us name them. Yes. So um, we had one called Vomit. <laughs> I'm going to steal that for my next one. <laughs> it was just like, because like we didn't like playing it very much because it was like, it was all about extensions forward and backwards and let's get, you know, B flats and G sharps and things. But um, yeah, sometimes yeah. The, having an irreverent name for a piece, she's like, all right, I'm going to start out today with Vomit. Absolutely. You'd be surprised at what what resonates with people. You know, I have late for school, no homework day, you know, like there's all kinds of like, you know, prankster. People just resonate with that kind of stuff. And they're like, yeah, I want to be a prankster. Does prankster have lots of dotted rhythms or? Uh, Yeah, it has a lot of like skedaddly stuff. Is that even a word? But yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yes. I specialize in the skedaddle, uh, actually. (laughs) So. Um, and so also though, what's next for you as individuals? And then is there a kind of a further collaboration? Um, I know you said that you finished the box suites. When do they come out? So actually we've just finished editing. So we're um, on a label hunt at the moment. So they should be coming out 
probably at the beginning of next year, if not the end of this year. Um, and there's, I have a violin concerto actually coming out called the Irish Four Seasons, which actually has a little bit of, you know, quotes from Vivaldi's and it's going to be in the same uh, album as the Vivaldi and then the Irish Four Seasons. So um, an amazing violinist, Linda O'Connor, commissioned me to write those and it, it'll be just super fun when that comes out. Oh, I'm excited for that. Vivaldi is like, that's my jam. That guy wrote the awesome. most clever, lovely music. I know. And can you imagine you have to write something that's like almost better than that? So people won't say, oh my God, it's a poor imitation of Vivaldi, you know? So if, if anybody says can... that, if anybody <laughs> says that, I have a little bit of spare time coming up. Just let <laughs> me know and I will get them. <laughs> I'll come find you. I'll come find exactly. you. Exactly. I've, I've got tattoos. I look tough. I'm... <laughs> I am not tough at all, but I will, I will scare them. I will terrify them. Don't worry. Or I'll just, or I'll just comment like on their favorite Instagram pictures. Yikes. (laughs) Right. Just, just a little shade just to throw them off their game. Um, I like it. Um, All right, Katie, what about you? So so my big things, I, I, you know, what's the term we all use now? Is it portfolio career? I mean, I think that's like, people are, you know, doing all sorts of things. I have a lot of projects, but my three main ones are the Appalachian Chamber Music Festival, which happens every year in August, and we do winter residency, so that's coming up. And um, I have a, a, a project that Alva's been involved with, actually, about Gaspar Casado. <gasps> Here knows the Casado solo suite. Yeah, cellist and Requiebros. Those are the two pieces everyone knows, I feel like, yep. as cellists, if they know anything from Casado. Well, we're doing this massive research project to uncover all of his like unpublished works because he wrote a ton of chamber music. He wrote a lot of pieces not for cello that are mm. awesome. They so are. I have a lot coming up with that. And then um, other big thing is my my folk band that writes songs about women. So that's uh, those are kind of the big things on the horizon for me. But in terms of us and um, Cello Power, the Popper Project, um, Alva and I just are you know looking forward to doing kind of different motivational talks to people, some that aren't cellists actually, um, but talking about the sort of process and also just sort of um, creating uh, spaces where we can give masterclasses and do clinics on all of our approaches that we've kind of uncovered through the Popper Project. You don't know it yet. You don't know it yet, but you are going to be giving a a talk or some series at Tamarack Arts at my jam. We will- that because that's exactly what they need to hear but also I keep thinking about just the way you're talking about process and kind of pushing into the uncomfortable places and I I remember as an undergrad we had a bunch of people who were not musicians come in and talk about learning and I'm almost thinking it might be nice for people who are trying to learn other very difficult things to hear your perspectives on this because there's so much crossover. And sometimes when it's not the precise thing that you're working on, you can actually adopt that lesson a little bit easier because it's not like a hot spot for you. Totally. Yeah. I, yeah. I so I feel like athletes might want to hear what you have to say as well. They yeah, do. Well, we, we were... we... Go on, Alva. You just, tell just them. Just the Irish with some of the, uh, we were actually in with the Irish rugby team who um Ooh, legs for days well we i mean it was it was a glorious gig but uh you know hopefully they're going to win the world cup right this is what we're we're after so this is in their prep for the world cup this year so but that's that's the thing any i suppose high art form of any kind is like high sports high performance it's all the same it's all the same mental i mean you're, you're well used to that with all of your uh neuro studies 
um it's we're all kind of after the same type of mental prowess and 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 practice and you know it just all ends up being the same thing for life right yeah the road to expertise is full of discomfort that you just have to allow yourself to feel yeah right (laughs) all right so uh as the last thing where can people get all of your stuff i know that we can get your um your music at boozy and hawks um and then i'm just wondering do you guys have a website outside of popper etudes or how can people contact you if they want to book you and things like that yes we do i actually have a a lot of other uh cello music and other music available to purchase on my website albummcdonough.com i'll have Uh, a link to that absolutely that sounds great and then i have my website, katieturtel.com, really original. You know, we have our names. It's, it's <laughs> a thing, isn't it? We Wild. All do it. Um, and then anything about my festival, which happens in West Virginia, is at appalachianchamber.org. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining me. And I will include all the links and all the good stuff. And until the next time, and I have a feeling there will be a next time, thank you both for joining me. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks. 